Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Booming Book Club. I am a second year English literature student at the University of Edinburgh. I've also been dabbling in law and Spanish but I have to say I'm very much looking forward to going into my third year and being able to just do English literature. I have created this radio show to try and instill a greater sense of reading just for the pleasure of it because I'm sure many of you even if you don't study English find that it's so hard to read for pleasure around uni work when you're just reading all the time anyway and I think it's really important to keep a focus on reading for pleasure and using it as a form of escapism especially in a scenario such as this when you're not confined to an essay question or tutorial prompt. I think it's really nice to be able to just talk about books, what you love about them, without having to find a critic who said your idea first, because apparently our ideas don't matter as undergraduates. Now, the book we are looking at for this first week is called Tender is the Night by the very famous F. Scott Fitzgerald, who I'm sure you've all heard of. Now, this is the last book he ever wrote, so I think it is one of his most significant ones, and it is actually the one that he was most proud of. I first read this over the summer, I think in between year 12 and year 13 of secondary school, because I actually wrote about it for my A-level coursework. So in preparing for this show, I had to read back over my coursework and, oh, I have come a long way. I would like to think it was quite funny reading it back. And I mean, it wasn't bad. It was just, it could have been a lot better. Let's just say that. I would say with this book, it is phenomenal. However, I didn't fully understand it until I started analysing it more deeply. So I wouldn't say that it is the type of book you could just read off the cuff or pick up and read five pages at a time or something, because it is the type of book that you really need to get into and be in deep. And oh, it is very emotionally harrowing, I have to say. It could be triggering for some people suffering from severe mental health issues. So I would just keep that in mind when you're reading it. So now I'm going to be joined by my mum in Cumbria. She's on the phone, so we may have some technical difficulties, but hopefully all goes smoothly for the first episode. So to give us a bit of background on yourself, what kind of books do you typically tend to read? Hello. Um, well, I love reading. I've always read a lot. Um, some favourite books from the past are... Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier and The Siege by Helen Dunmore. But thinking of a couple of books I've read more recently, which I've absolutely loved and would highly recommend, my favourite two are All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doer, which you've read, haven't you, Lucy? Yeah, I love that. And another one um, more recently was Burial Rites by Hannah Kent, which is set in Iceland, which you haven't read no, yet, No, have I don't you? think I've heard of that either. No, it's really good. I think it's being made into a film at the moment, but whether that's been held up because of COVID, I'm not sure. I think it would be fair to say then that we do tend to have similar types in books, in books that we enjoy. Yes, definitely. And One thing that I've absolutely loved is being able to share some of those books with you and have great conversations about them. So I think what will be interesting in today's episode is, uh, obviously, I've absolutely loved reading Tundra's The Night, but you are not quite as keen on it. No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Could you elaborate a bit more on just your initial thoughts on the book and why it's not necessarily as appealing to you as the normal books you read? Okay, well, the reason that I read it was because you'd read Great Gatsby for your A-level and I hadn't read any books by Scott Fitzgerald, so I thought I'd better alter that. So I read Great Gatsby and I really enjoyed it. And then you said, well, you know, you need to read Tender is the Night now. So I started reading it and it's one of the few books that I nearly didn't complete, didn't actually finish reading it. Um, I I did, I thought he did a very good job 
of evoking the atmosphere in the French Riviera in the yeah, 19th. Yeah, the opening part is just amazing with the, his descriptions of it. You really just want to be there. Yes, yeah, you you do, you do. You almost feel quite envious mm-hmm. of them. In a way. Um, I did find the characters confusing. Uh, it's a couple of years ago now that I read it, but at one point I was turning backwards and forwards between the pages just to remind myself who the different male characters were. Yeah, um, I did find the group of friends that Dick and Nicole have at their house in France quite confusing because they all have quite similar personalities, which I guess shows how, in a societal context, everybody with similar personalities seems sort of bond together. Yeah, that I'd I'd absolutely agree with that. I couldn't I couldn't differentiate, especially between the men. I found. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the other problem with it, especially at that point in the book near the near the beginning, was that I I just found it really hard to um, empathise with any of the characters or really care about them very much or their futures. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really until the book went into detail about Dick's past and the the circumstances around his meeting Nicole. I really did get more interested in it and I was glad that I didn't abandon it Mm -hmm. but still couldn't say that I really loved it like you do yeah well I just I will discuss this more later in the show but I think it really is a book where you can't be too hung up on the idea of it having a very driven narrative and it being very narrative heavy because I would say it's more about the individual characters and less of how the characters' lives are intertwined. Yes, yes, I think you're right. So do you have a particularly character that you're fond of or a favourite character at all? I suppose it's a bit predictable, but I think I would relate most of all to Nicole because she's a mother, as I obviously am, and... I can understand her her feelings and motives for wanting to keep her family together. Mm-hmm. Do you find while she is your favorite character, do you find her likable? Not always, yeah. no. I think it's interesting no. with this book especially because none of the characters are like completely good. I know that's quite a naive thing to say because nobody is completely good or completely bad, but there really is a strong sense of a corrupted human race in this book yes everybody's flawed which we all are of course yeah and even in that wider friendship group it's the same it's not as if just the central characters are these flawed human beings (laughs) yes 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 so do you have a, a favorite part in the book that would definitely be um when the the background to Dick and Nicole's story is is gone into in more detail, I found I did find that really interesting. It's quite harrowing, really, isn't it? It is harrowing, and I think it it was very much well. As we said, Fitzgerald sets up the atmosphere in the French Riviera. I think he also did a brilliant job of setting up the atmosphere and the type of clinic. That they were in. Oh yeah, it's Very- terrifying. I suppose it goes to show yes. how attitudes and medicine had developed in regard to mental illness, because they were just sort of shut away and they like threw yes. out, threw away the key or whatever. So it was kind of a hopeless ordeal for Nicole. It was as if, you know, she was always going to be this sick patient, which is why ultimately their marriage did fail. Yes. So what would you rate it out of five? Oh, it's hard because looking back at it now and I've been looking um, ready to do this this chat, I, I was looking at some quotes mm. and there are some beautiful, beautiful descriptive quotes which you've probably already talked about. Um, and I am glad I've read it, but when I'm rating a book, I always think, would I say to a close friend um, who likes the same type of um, genre as me, I guess, you must read this book. And I, I wouldn't say that about Tender is the mm. Night. So I'd probably give it, because of some of the, the beautiful passages 
that are contained within the, the wider context of the story, I probably would give it a three out of five. That is quite harsh, but I respect, I, I respect that. <laughs> and as I will cover later in the show, I think the book appears better once you understand the context and how it is a direct parody of Fitzgerald's own life. And I think it's a book that does deserve to be handled with a lot of respect because it was basically his dying wish to complete this book. And it's the book that he really? is proud of. So I think it is important to reflect on the feelings of Nicole and Dick as those of Fitzgerald's own, because um, it is such a personal book. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't actually realise that mm. about it. What did you think of the character of Rosemary? Oh, I found her um, uh, quite unlikable in many ways. Yes. Um, she's the kind of mother that I would not want to be or to have for myself. Yeah. Um, I mean, thinking back to when I read it, which was a couple of years ago, I remember feeling that she was quite scheming and manipulative and a social climber. Yeah, I always pity her in a way because she does seem to spend her whole life just really trying to climb the social ladder. And I feel like that was such a, a big deal for young girls of her age in the 1930s because reputation was everything. So in a way, it was really quite daring, I suppose, for her to embark on having quite a high profile affair with Dick because if it was uncovered, you know, it could it would damage her career more than his, really. Yes. Oh, oh, absolutely. It's always the, the woman was judged much with much more harshly, wasn't yeah. she, than a man would be. There's a I've just found the quotation that says, This did not bother Rosemary, who had only recently been allowed to learn that she was even personable so that her prettiness never seemed exactly her own, but what, rather an acquirement like her French, which sort of embodies her growing ego, I suppose, as she's on the cusp of adulthood, really, and so through her affair with Dick and her emerging on the acting world and becoming more seen, it's just sort of, it really is just fueling her own selfishness, I suppose, and lack of regard for other people, but at the end of the day, she does still manage to create a very successful acting career pretty much on her own. I think it's just she makes a lot of mistakes in her first few years of adulthood, which I suppose we can expect. Yes. I mean, how I can't remember how old she actually is at the start of the book. 18 or 19, so my age. Yes. And when you think of the sheltered life she would have had... Mm-hmm. Um, compared to our 21st century lives. I mean, it's nearly 100 years ago, isn't it, that the book was set? Yeah, I think it's quite easy to criticise her for sort of destroying Dick and Nicole's marriage. But on the other hand, I think it is quite evident right from the start of the novel that their marriage, something is quite clearly amiss. You know, yes, not everything is okay. Like, even their friends are sort of whispering about it, but it's very much the elephant in the room. No, nobody really yes. bring it up or talk about it. Yes, and appearances are everything, aren't mm-hmm. they? Do you think there is any sense of real love between Dick and Nicole, or do you think it's all a sort of codependency based off their doctor-patient relationship? Mm. Oh, that is really hard, isn't it? Yeah. Sure. I... Maybe a shared love for their children, but that was that was very. They weren't parents in the way that we think of parents no, these days. Not. I seem to remember that he wasn't very much that Dick wasn't very much involved with the children at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Which again, I think, reflects how the novel is a product of its time. Yes, it's just the way things were, and society was still heavily misogynist and sexist unfortunately which and I think it shows as well how I think Nicole was treated differently as a mental patient as opposed to if she'd been a man because 
I think quite often, even now, perhaps it's sort of decided it's female hysteria rather than it being a genuine problem, which of course for Nicole, it was, it was life-threatening. Yes, yes, absolutely. It wasn't going to be solved with a pot of smelling salts. (laughs) It's not like her corset was too tight or something. Yes. Were there any of the characters that you'd like to be friends with? Oh, gosh. It's hard to remember now. Wasn't there... Wasn't there a, a female friend... No, I can't remember Lucy now. <laughs> I think I would quite like to be friends with Dick and Nicole purely to go and stay in their house in France. I think it would be <laughs> worth it just for that. No matter the rest of the drama, I'd just be a friend from afar, get drunk off their <laughs> nice vintage wine. <laughs> a friend so you could go to their holiday yeah. home. Well, that's basically <laughs> what Rosemary started doing, let's be honest. She... <laughs> Yeah, well, they did have, they had a lot of hanger-oners, didn't they? Yeah, I think it's hard to see what was genuine friendship and what was friendship for the sake of being a social climber. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on to talk about the book today. I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it as much as me, but I think it is sometimes interesting reading a book you haven't enjoyed that much in a weird way. Yes, yep. Yep, fair enough. And it's good to read a wide variety. So that mm-hmm. was my mum's Thank you very much on the novel. Hopefully okay. that was good to get some different opinions. I will be trying each week to get, you know, different people on. I have some friends lined up, many of which are their favourite books we'll be looking at on the show. So it should be nice to get a ranging view of opinions rather than just mine, because mine is quite irrelevant, to be honest. Um <laughs> But now I'm going to look at some of the other books by Fitzgerald and sort of the context behind the time period and why Tender is the Night is really an embodiment of Fitzgerald and his life and his marriage and the last tragic decade of his life, I suppose, because he wrote this novel over, I think, a nine-year span. It was quite a long period of time because before then he'd sort of been bashing out novel after novel you know, short stories ready to be published in magazines and so forth. Uh, So, as I said previously, The Great Gatsby, which I think goes without saying is Fitzgerald, is Fitzgerald's most famous book of all time, is definitely regarded as one of the greatest pieces of literature ever. And all of those sort of Pinterest lists of a hundred books to read before you die that is pretty much in all of them I think because whilst the language and descriptions are very elaborate and clever you can read on a surface level and understand it so it's definitely a more accessible book for a range of ages which I think is potentially why it's so celebrated is because so many different people can read it rather than it being a really highbrow book like Ulysses or something I had to read that for uni over Christmas and it was just one of the worst experiences of my life my parents can attest to that it drove me insane I did not understand what was going on but anyway so Tender as the Night doesn't quite top the Great Gatsby but it does come close which I have to say is very impressive it's a hard thing to do it's extremely melancholic when you look at it in the direct correlation to Fitzgerald's own life because as you see the parallels it may not be factually the same as Fitzgerald's life but I think the fact that the feelings and emotions that Dick and Nicole experience in their marriage are truly the feelings that Fitzgerald and his wife Zelda experience just it sort of brings it more to life I would say because you know that these were real feelings, they were real experiences, they weren't something that's just been fabricated for the sake of a novel. Fitzgerald truly did pour his heart and soul into this book, and he died pretty soon after finishing it, so it's as if, through getting his experiences and his words out onto the paper, he was almost allowed to die. It's as if this book essentially took the life out of him, I know that sounds really morbid, but I think 
when an artist pulls that much of themselves into their work, it has such an either detrimental impact on their health or it helps them get better. And I think because Fitzgerald had already entered this descent into alcoholism and despair and just, he just didn't want to be alive anymore. So I think this novel is something that we should handle with respect and not a book that you can sort of make flippant remarks about because of the context and out of respect to Fitzgerald because as I said this was the work of his life the great Gatsby might have been the most famous but that's more work of fiction that's you know a fabricated universe obviously it has its parallels to the roaring 20s and you know the corruption in America and the American dream but that's very much an impersonal side of the context Whereas Tender is Denied, it doesn't focus so much on society and like societal attitudes. It, it is just Fitzgerald's own life. And I think we are very privileged and we are very lucky to be able to experience something like that. And we should respect him as a writer for it. So in 1932, Fitzgerald's wife, Zelda, was hospitalised for schizophrenia in Baltimore in Maryland. And as I said in the summary of the book, Nicole really suffers with her mental health, which was triggered by a historic abuse pattern with her family. And it just essentially just messed up her whole entire life. And she meets Dick in a mental asylum when he is her doctor, which is kind of scary and worrying, but I'll discuss that in more detail later. Um... So, obviously, Nicole is clearly a direct parody of Zelda. So, both suffer from mental illness and the massive impact this has on both of their marriages. Now, I believe, I don't know the exact year, but I know at one point in her life, quite soon to 1932, because it was just before she was hospitalised, Zelda overdosed on, I think it was either sleeping pills or prescription pills, And it was quite clearly a suicide attempt. But Fitzgerald and Zelda literally just ignored this. They never discussed it. This wasn't the reason that she even went into hospital, which is frankly terrifying. Um, So I think it again shows how Nicole and Dick very much try to brush over any impurities in their marriage. I think... Nicole is very aware that Dick is having an affair with Rosemary but for the sake of the image and their reputation which I suppose does link to society because reputation was just integral to leading a good life it really does show how people brush things under the carpet and just desperately try to keep the American dream alive which I guess is where we can link this book to Gatsby is that Nicole and Diver sorry, Nicole and Diver, Nicole and Dick Diver really do try and embody the American dream, but it it just seems to be out of their grasp throughout the whole book. They're trying so, so hard to reach it, much to the detriment of both of their mental health and their children's. And it's just, it shows how unattainable it is because they should have had the perfect life. You know, Dick came in as Nicole's saviour, And it just immediately set the dynamic for their marriage off on the wrong foot. It was never, ever going to succeed. So I suppose, in a way, we can use this novel as a comforting thing. Because the creative outlet may have helped Fitzgerald's distress. It certainly made him spiral more. However... Obviously, there are external factors to this. You know, we can't blame it on a singular novel. So I think it would have been quite therapeutic for him to discuss his marriage in the novel when Zelda was obviously in hospital, so he wasn't able to do it with her. It was the first work he'd actually completed in nine years, and he wrote it over a long time period. It's as if after writing The Great Gatsby, he was just creatively exhausted. And I think 
that sort of shows why this novel isn't as much a work of fiction as The Great Gatsby in his other novels because he was, as I said, just creatively exhausted. The only way he could continue to create art was by having it as a direct parody of his own life, which I think is a very dangerous thing to do because through doing that, you're inviting people's opinions into your life and into your very personal marital affairs. And I think in a contemporary society, we see this even more with social media and, you know, these couples on YouTube that have been daily vlogging for years and years and years. They are just constantly faced with other people's opinions on their marriage. Like, if a child wears a slightly offensive T-shirt, it's the worst thing in the world and I think that's why cancel culture is so toxic and to an extent I think we can see that in Fitzgerald's life it's as if the only way for him to continue pleasing an audience and to continue his career is by just putting himself on a plate to the world and that's what he did and then he died so I suppose it acts as a warning to artists as morbid as it is it he put himself out to die, effectively. Now, to look at the parody between Fitzgerald and Zelda and Dick and Nicole, obviously, the beginning of the novel is set in the Riviera in southern France. And Fitzgerald and Zelda, actually, I think they moved to the south of France for um, a couple of years, right during the height of hedonism. So you can just... Oh, you can imagine the parties that went on there and the glorious sunsets and the beautiful French summer. And again, I think being in such an idyllic setting, it again shows them trying to attain the American dream. And Dick and Nicole still aren't happy, even though they're in, you know capitalist paradise I suppose you know they're rich they're wealthy they're glamorous and they're still not happy and it goes the exact same when we look at Fitzgerald and Zelda you know they're in the south of France living the life in the heat Fitzgerald is as successful as he's ever been you know Zelda's young and beautiful but it is just tainted because they're not happy and if you're not happy what's the point So Fitzgerald, I think, as I mentioned earlier, regards this as his best work. And so we shouldn't disregard it simply because it takes more depth to understand it. I think we owe it to Fitzgerald and his wife after the suffering that they endured. Because, as I said, this is a true piece of him. So we should treat it with respect and with care. And I think there's a reason... He regards it as his best work. It wasn't met with the greatest reception from critics when it first came out. I think as literature's progressed and attitudes in particular towards mental health and mental illness have progressively improved, the critical regard and enjoyment of this novel has just increased greatly, which is really refreshing to see. I think it's obviously it would have been amazing if people still loved it in Fitzgerald's day, but I think it's amazing that a book can get almost a a second lease of life. And that's definitely what's happened with this book. So the character of Rosemary, who has more of an important role in the first half of the book, is that's when she meets Dick and Nicole in the south of France, um, is based off Lois Moran who was a famous actress and she had a whirlwind affair with Fitzgerald. Their relationship was very, very passionate and sort of impetuous, you know, it was very hot and cold. It was on one minute, off the other. And so as Rosemary has an affair with Dick and Fitzgerald has an affair with Lois, it just again reflects his marital complexities with Zelda. And I don't know that it's been confirmed, but I believe Zelda had some flings and affairs as well. So it just, you know, monogamy was not really a thing in their marriage. It's as if they had a sort of an understanding that there were going to be affairs. And again, it was sort of hushed about. It wasn't really discussed just how Nicole is very aware 
that Rosemary is, you know, sleeping with her husband right under her nose. But it's as if she doesn't think she deserves to challenge Dick about it because she's so run down and she's so unwell. She doesn't have the mental preservation to be able to try and save her marriage. Obviously, she does get upset about it at some points, but, you know, it's just, it's so hard for her in her past to try and invoke her self-rights and make sure that she gets what she deserves in her marriage and that Dick takes responsibility for her and the children. So as I've been previously discussing with the context... The best way to truly look at this novel and understand it is in regards to its context and where it was placed in society and, most importantly, in Fitzgerald's own life. So, when you first read this book, I can't lie, it is confusing. As my mum said, you know, she almost stopped reading the book and that's something she very rarely does. I think it's important to note that it isn't necessarily meant to make coherent sense as a narrative. Because it is based off real life, Fitzgerald expects us as a reader to be in the mindset that, you know, real life really makes sense. Look at the past year. Who would have thought 2020 would have turned into that? So I think this novel is less about finding a good narrative you know, following Levi Strauss's perfect arc of equilibrium with, you know, your disequilibrium in the middle and then your new equilibrium at the end. It's not a perfect narrative. It's real life. And that is why it is such an excellent book. So you mustn't try and put modern ideals and modern values on something that's not meant to be a modern novel. It's a product of the time and a product of Fitzgerald's own life. So the novel was first published in Scribner's magazine across four issues, which again could explain why it's slightly confusing and convoluted in some instances. Because when something is serialised and published in a magazine, there's often a case of some recapping in the next issue in case people missed a previous one. Um, and it just it changes the way the narrative evolves. However, whilst in some books this doesn't work, I think in Tender is the Night it does, because the book is split into, I think, three parts. It being serialised in a magazine doesn't actually disrupt the narrative too much. I think the narrative is never going to make total sense, and that's fine. It shows the mess that was Fitzgerald's brain as he was writing it. So I'm going to now be looking at some of my favourite quotations from the book and looking at a deeper level at the language Fitzgerald uses and how this parodied his own life. So the first part of the novel allows Fitzgerald to orchestrate the illusion of the divers' perfect marriage. So the quotation... The divers represented externally the exact furthermost evolution of a class. So the phrase represented externally evidently shows the mere illusion of their happy marriage as subjective to their exterior. Behind closed doors, it is never going to be this perfect marriage. And Fitzgerald's three-part structure of Tender is the Night enables him to shatter this illusion of the diver's marriage in the following parts of the novel. By starting in the present and going into the past, it means that for the final part of the novel, we're really able to understand the history between Nicole and Dick's marriage and what shaped them to be the people they are when, at the beginning of the novel, Dick meets Rosemary. I think, having read the novel, I would like to go back and read the start again, having read the other parts of the novel, because with that understanding of the past, I think you'd really read the affair between Rosemary and Dick in a different light. So in this book, I don't know how you guys feel about highlighting books. Some people think it's blasphemy, some other people love it. 
when I'm studying a book, I do tend to highlight and stuff because for essays and tutorials, it's just a lot easier. And this book is just covered in highlights. I saw on um, TikTok, actually, the modern day girl that I am, um, this girl had set up this quotes wall in real life, like on her bedroom wall, she had loads of post notes with her favourite book quotes on it. And whilst part of me thought it was cringy and didn't look that good, I do think it's also quite inspiring because if you can just sit and look at that, it would inspire you to read more in order to fill it more. Um, So one of the first descriptions of Rosemary Fitzgerald writes about is, I think when Rosemary meets Dick and Nicole for the first time at their house in the French Riviera and Fitzgerald writes, you're the only girl I've seen for a long time that actually did look like something blooming. So obviously shows Dick's initial infatuation with her and the verb blooming insinuates this brimmingness of Rosemary as she's on the edge of adulthood. You know, she's really on the the cusp of emerging into the adult world. And I think it's this youthfulness that Dick is so attracted to. Because he met Nicole when she was young, you know, they really fell in love in a youthful sense and with how, on a very surface level, how they both looked when they were younger. And I think Rosemary represents, in a way, Nicole when Dick thought she was still fixable, to put it very crudely. You know, now Nicole's not got better. Her mental health troubles are always going to be there and Dick cannot accept that. Because he's a doctor, in his eyes, things have to be fixable. He needs to have fixed Nicole in order for their marriage to work. And he can't fix their marriage if he can't fix Nicole. So Rosemary being such a bright, budding young girl is really sort of the the antithesis of what Dick is looking for, I suppose. And this verb again, blooming, it sort of foreshadows Rosemary's later success as an actress. Now, it appears later on in the novel that Dick actually becomes quite jealous of Rosemary's success because in his eyes, he only wants her to be successful as a product of him. He only wants her to be successful if it's because of him. And I think this is perhaps Fitzgerald's own criticism of himself and him perhaps being too controlling in his relationship with Lois and potentially both with Zelda. As later in the novel, when Rosemary and Dick have sort of parted their ways, they meet again many years later. And, it, you know, Dick's just not happy for Rosemary. Of course, it's always going to be a different sort of dynamic and relationship when it's somebody you've had an affair with and it's an affair that ultimately destroyed your marriage and destroyed your family. But, you know, you would have thought that Dick would be happy for Rosemary because she has worked hard to get where she is. And whilst, yes, she was flawed when she was younger, she was also incredibly naive. And I I don't think we as readers can blame Rosemary for that you know it's not her fault that she was young and looking for love you know when you're young you really fling yourself at love you you assume infatuation as love and so Dick really does take advantage of her and takes advantage of her youth which is shameful on his part he was wealthy he was successful the affair was never gonna detrimentally impact his career but this affair on Rosemary's career, it, it could have ended it for her really before it ever begun. But instead, she managed to flip it and orchestrate it so it was the making of her and it was the making of her career. You know, she turned her life around, she persevered, she stuck to her guns and she succeeded. And I think she is actually a very important feminist icon. So another quotation which I really love is... He looked at her, and for a moment she lived in the bright blue worlds of his eyes, eagerly and confidently. I think this quote is particularly beautiful because it's like in a film when sort of they go into slow motion and they do a circular pan around a couple's first kiss, and it just, it seems to perfectly encapsulate the feeling of falling in love. 
you know, the fluttering heart, the slowed down breathing, it, it is as if time stands still. So the phrase world of his eyes shows the sort of unwavering adoration as the people you love do become your whole world. And I just, I think it's a shame that um, this quotation is Dick talking about Rosemary and not Dick talking about his wife because it it insinuates that Rosemary is worth a lot more to him than an affair and I really don't think she is. I would say that at this point in the novel Dick is kidding himself that he is going to fall in love with Rosemary and leave his wife because she's always just going to be a fling for him because she'll grow up she'll want to spread her wings and that's not going to be compatible with Dick's current life you know this illusion is shattered as soon as you realize it's rosemary he's looking at because they don't have a sustainable kind of love and as much as dick and nicole have their problems i'd still think a part of him loves her and a part of her loves him so it's interesting to see how the language by fitzgerald is kept relatively the same with both of the women when i very first read this book I wasn't as used to picking out language and descriptions as much as I am now. You know, now it's literally all I do every day. Um, But when I first read it, I immediately noticed that Nicole is intrinsically linked to her hair and Fitzgerald repetitively links her mental state to her hair. Now, I suppose you could view this from a misogynistic point of view that women have always been, and well, I hope, in the future they won't be but they are always affiliated with their beauty and with how they look and it's as if the state of her hair reflects both her mental state and the state of Nicole and Dick's marriage so the first quotation that references her hair is this her once fair hair had darkened but she was lovelier now at 24 than she had been at 18 when her hair was brighter than she I just think this is such a beautiful description. It shows how, as you grow up, you change. You know, your looks change, your personality changes, and it's suggesting that we shouldn't be afraid of this change. And it shows how, while she is still unwell, and I think she perhaps is always going to be unwell, she is so much more her own person now than she was at 18 than she was as a teenager and effectively still a child at 18. So I think it's very important to remember this in the novel when she turns into an illness spiral or whatever. She is still and always will be more of a person than she was at 18. And then slightly later on in the novel, there is another description of her hair that's very, very similar, actually, that goes like this. She was more beautiful now that her hair had darkened than when it had been like a cloud and more beautiful than she. I think this allusion to her as a cloud shows that because of the abuse in her childhood, she very much had to live in her head. You know, she was probably always away with the fairies, so to speak, but it may have actually been a very dark place. So this contradiction of the cloud, the reality of her mental health shows how she tries to cover it up and tries to keep it together for her family. And these descriptions of her hair really contradict the descriptions of Rosemary because Rosemary is described as, you know, a proper woman at the age she is at the start of the novel, which is, I think, 18 or 19, so the age of Nicole in these descriptions. And it's interesting to see how Fitzgerald regards the women at two very different stages of their life when they're the same age. It's as if Fitzgerald is reminding us that whilst Rosemary and Lois represent the world's transition into a a new and exciting era and a whirlwind romance, he's reminding us that Dick will always hold a deeper love and devotion for Nicole, just as Fitzgerald did for Zelda, no matter the arduous times they faced. At the end of the day, they are still man and wife. They still made that commitment to each other, and I don't think they would have done that if they didn't truly love each other, even at one point, even if it's not as strong as it is in the novel. So perhaps the most famous quotation from this book, I feel like many people will have heard but not actually realise where it's come from. It's this one. 
When she saw him face to face, their eyes met and brushed like bird's wings. After that, everything was all right. Everything was wonderful. She knew that he was beginning to fall in love with her. Now, again, this is a lovely depiction of falling in love. However, I think it's a very uh, bold and naive assumption from Rosemary that Dick was falling in love with her. Because, again, this is still at the very, very start of the novel. And she just assumes that he's immediately fallen for her. You know, he's going to leave his wife. And this really accentuates the naivety. And I suppose the difference, again, between Rosemary and Nicole. Nicole has that maturity that Rosemary hasn't got and Nicole is just so much more aware of the world whereas Rosemary assumes that everybody's going to bow at her feet I don't think that means she's afraid of hard work I think it just means in terms of personal relationships she's not suffered rejection yet she doesn't know what it is to have her heart broken so she doesn't anticipate it and I think it's a quote people are mainly fond of you know in a general sense but in the context of the novel it is really quite horrible because We know that Dick's not falling in love with her. We know that Rosemary's going to end up so hurt and it could potentially be one of the greatest sorrows of her life ever meeting Dick. And I think this quote shows why the affair between Dick and Rosemary will only ever be an affair. The naivety that this quotation exhibits is proof of this, why it's an affair and not a long-standing relationship. One of the last quotations I'll look at, in fact, I think the last one, is this. Nicole's world had fallen to pieces. This is a very short sentence and it's just so emphatic and distressing. It really encapsulates such a desperate image of Nicole. It really just makes you feel for her and the children. She's so desperate to keep her world together and she's been trying for so many years to keep her life together and maintain a good marriage with Dick and curate a wonderful life for her children, which I think she does do to a certain extent. She manages to hide her illness quite well from her children, apart from the car crash and other instances at the end of the novel, but it's, she can't help the actions of her past. And in a way you could see her as a feminist for her actions at the end of the novel, you know, when, her marriage crumbles with Dick. He descends into alcoholism and she ultimately ends the marriage with Dick. But then Fitzgerald almost leads her on, leads us on by having her end the marriage with Dick because we think she's finally stood up for herself. But then she gets in a relationship, an affair with Tommy Barber and it just shows her intrinsic dependence on men it really reflects the attitudes of society at the time that she truly believes she cannot survive without a man. And this might be somewhat heightened in the novel, but it does certainly encapsulate the misogynistic attitudes of the 1930s. And I think Fitzgerald really wanted to portray them in the book whether or not he believes it himself. I'd also like to talk very briefly about a music recommendation. So each week when I discuss a book, I'd like to recommend either a, a single or an album or something to read, so, something to read, something to listen to as you are reading the book. Because frankly, books deserve the perfect environment for being devoured in, especially in this one, given how personal it is to Fitzgerald. And I think he would very much want us readers to make it an experience rather than just sitting down with a spare five minutes to read a book type of thing. So the album I'm recommending this week is the 2006 album by Patrick Watson called Close to Paradise. It's a very sweet and soulful album. It is quite sad, I won't lie. And seeing as you'll feel emotionally wrecked after reading this book anyway, I think listening to the album will really just help you get in the right zone for the book. It will put you immediately in a pretty sad mindset, but I think in a weird way that might help you enjoy the book more. In a way, it feels like when Patrick is singing, it could be Dick reminiscing on his life. I'm sure Patrick is a far, far nicer person than Dick is in the novel, but I think it really is a perfect album to listen to whilst you read it. So, sort of my final thoughts 
I'd like to summarise what I've discussed and just the overarching themes of the novel. And that is that Dick and Nicole's marriage was never going to end happily. The doctor and patient dichotomy cannot exist in harmony for a reason. Dick sort of develops something called Florence Nightingale syndrome where a caregiver falls in love with their patient. And obviously on a moral level, we know this is completely wrong, but because Dick sees himself as her carer and Nicole almost feels indebted to Dick, that is never going to create an equal and happy and healthy marriage because they're never going to be on the same plateau. It's always going to be skewed in one direction. And I think it's very important to learn about that past in order to understand the strange dynamic of the marriage because I don't think anybody understands the dynamic of their marriage not even then you know their friends don't know much about them they don't know about their past it's all very hush hush for the sake of reputation but despite this and despite the sort of discrepancy in narrative coherence it is so incredibly well written the descriptions and choice of language that Fitzgerald is so rightly famous for really shine through I think you get a sense of the shame and hurt that Fitzgerald endured in the latter years of his life. And it, it does make it almost painful to read. I can't lie that it's heavy going, but it's just so worth reading. It is really a privilege to read this book because I think it is the most intimate detail we will ever get into Fitzgerald's life. And so I, I would rate this book a five out of five in terms of is this book read or dead most definitely read however it does i would say cater to a specific audience you know it helps to have read another of fitzgerald's works to understand fully and sort of be accustomed to his elaborate descriptions because his elaborate descriptions are really what helps you dive into the narrative and understand it more i would say there is a lot hidden in these descriptions so i would really really recommend this book Obviously, it's not a new book. It's very old. Something that is, I would say, considered a classic. You know, it's his last work. It is his legacy. And it's very special that he's let us all, you know, privy to his legacy. And so, next week's book is The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. I'm hoping it will reawaken the dystopian fiction addict that was 15-year-old me, as it's the prequel to the Hunger Games series and oh, that series has such a special place in my heart as I'm sure it will for all of you and we will be joined by my fabulous friend Sophie next week who actually first told me about this book so I'm hoping it will be a really fun read and definitely less heavy going than this book but again I don't know if I'll like it as much as this book so it's all swings and roundabouts. I hope you have a fabulous week and get up to lots of fun and enjoy reading whatever you're reading this week.